It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs. Well, that's it. Got the map of the week. Adventures in art. Le Chadron Comatique. Oui, oui. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> hey, Froth, it's Rob. First up, I hope your wife kicks cancer's ass all the way from Athens to Chicago. Second, happy anniversary, 200 episodes. That's awesome. Um, I've listened to every one of them and enjoyed every one of them. And I don't know how anyone could be disappointed. I mean, I love the the hump day show and the format of that. But even more, I love me some unfiltered froth rambling, pouring out the froth brain. And the trip down memory lane with the video games. Oh, man. Galaga, I loved it. Wizard of War. But my favorite was Joust. And I also loved Missile Command. Except with that rollerball getting my skin pinched when you got a little too whipped up about it. And uh, the troll killed me in own time at all. Great (laughs) title for a... What is up, everybody? It is Froth here. Thought Eater Podcast. Thought Eater Blog. I hope you are doing well. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for being patient, because it's been a while since we have had a hump day proper, since we've had a proper hump day RPG show, and finally had, you know, been a lot going on, not going to lie, but c'est la vie, and I'm here today, here today with a hump day show, so... Great to hear from Rob C. from the Down in a Heap podcast. One of the only podcasts I can stand to listen to, Down in a Heap. I appreciate the kind words. And also, yeah, we were talking uh, last hump day about, over the last couple weeks really, a few weeks, about classic arcade games. This was all spawned from an article on the D&D game for Intellivision. And so then last week on uh, episode 200, I was talking a little bit about other classic games and Joust. How can I forget Joust? The thing about Joust is that it reminds me of is when you're younger, you can kind of remember times and places based on what arcade games the business had. Like I can remember which arcades had what games, which arcades were the only times I ever saw a game. Like there was one that was a cartoon kind of pattern game, not unlike Dragon's Lair, called Cliffhanger, that I only saw at one place, and that was the Showbiz Pizza in Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> so they may have been the only people that ever ever had that game. Um, but I, I've Googled it. It existed other places, but the only place I ever saw that. But anyway, Joust... They had Joust at the movie theater in Montgomery. And so, you know, it's not a new thing for uh, movie theaters to have some arcade games. You know, you get there early for the movie. You know, get some quarters out of these kids, you know. <laughs> get, drain every bit of money you can out of these kids. And um, 
So at the movie theater there in Montgomery is where they had Joust. And that's another game like Asteroids that just felt ahead of its time because it had the realistic kind of motion. Like when the egg goes popping off, the way that it falls, the way that it bounces, the way that you drift as you're flapping your ostrich wings and everything, it had a really natural feel to it. Very kind of advanced feeling or just well well programmed. So great to bring that up. And then also, yeah, I almost forgot about the pinching from the, the roller balls. Uh, Centipede had a little bit of that too, a little pinch, <laughs> a little, the pinch of the ball. So anyway, great to hear from you, Rob. Uh, so yeah, hump day RPG show. This is a weekly show where I kind of talk about stuff that I spotted over the week on blogs, uh, zine news, just random RPG tidbits that caught my eye, free stuff, maps, bunch of other stuff. I talk about it here on the podcast. Then I put all the links up in order over at the Thought Eater blog. You can just Google Thought Eater blog and you'll find it really easily. And if you're a blogger and want to add it to your blog roll, I'd really appreciate it. And so it has been a few weeks. So I've got like several weeks of stuff that I sorted through. And it actually ends up being kind of a good thing, I think, because I've got some stuff from some blogs that uh, don't come up a lot or maybe have never even come up. Since it's a weekly show, you know... It, it tends to favor, you know, the, the blogs that get mentioned the most are ones that are constantly putting stuff out because they've always got a new post, you know. So, if, you know, if you do one post every month and a half or whatever, you know, you only have so many chances, um, you know, for me to notice it even, you know. Um, and I'm not trying to tell people to, to to blog every day or anything like that. That's just the way it ends up. So there are lots of sites uh, some sites that are almost like blog news sites, you know, that, that have multiple writers and stuff. So they're constantly putting out content. You know, you see them come up a lot, but I'm happy that there's several blogs, uh, that might be new to you, might be new to listeners. And, you know, the whole idea here sharing a lot of these blogs is, uh, you know, supporting the bloggers, you know, so people don't feel like they're just kind of screaming into the void. If you like these blogs, you know, follow them, you know, if you're following some news sites and this, that, and the other, you know, it might be healthier for your mind sometimes to, to follow along with some RPG blogs, you know, find the voices that appeal to you that are talking about stuff that you like and follow along with that. And, uh, I think it really enriches my hobbying experience. So I got several more call-ins from these legendary anchorites, all these legendary podcasters that use anchor as a platform and a lot of these calls are about uh what i talked another thing i talked about on episode 200 and that is pulling off the big reveal on your characters that big plot twist that thing that they didn't see coming and uh, and how delicate that can be you just have to just patiently ever so patiently lay the groundwork to pull it off. But when you do, it's extremely satisfying for both you and your players. So I got some call-ins on that. And I think we'll start with Taylor from the Cleric Wearing Ringmail podcast. Happy Hump Day, Froth. So, big reveal. I ran a game a handful of years back where a macro event going on in the setting was that the rightful ruler of an island had been deposed by a couple bad wizards. The party came into contact with this rightful ruler and came under her employ. However, 
Uh, she was supposed to be a good guy in a sense. The party did not, specifically one player in particular, did not believe that it was possible for me to have an NPC that had good intentions. So they, uh, he talked the group into undercutting and betraying her uh, to the evil wizards, and my uh, lawful good party mistakenly ushered in a new uh, epoch of tyranny. Good times. And while we're at it, happy 200th episode. Uh, I look forward to the next 200. Uh, as an anniversary present and potentially belated birthday gift, I present the decanter of never-ending meatloaf. It is on an annual recharge, though, for insurance reasons. Taylor there from Clerics Wear Remail, and great to hear from you. I appreciate the congrats. And yeah, you know, you point to something that I was kind of mentioning. The players are good players are they're almost trained not to trust anything. So even when you like even when you put something, you know, in the game to help them or a completely harmless NPC, they're like, should we kill them? You know, it's almost like that bad. Like, uh, and uh, she makes you some delicious apple pie. It's like it's poison. You know, throw it out. Uh, force it down her throat. You know, it's no, it's just. It's just sweet, wholesome apple pie. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I don't trust anything. So anyway, good to hear from you. Uh, next, we got something from Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall. Hey, Froth, Spencer here. Really like that idea of a game based on solipsism. And I had a similar thought recently. I was watching um, Total Recall, great movie, the original, not the remake. I wouldn't bother with that. I was watching that for the umpteenth time, and I thought, why has nobody made this into an RPG? I just, I, because I, then that whole idea of, you know, is he having a psychotic break, or is he really a secret agent? Is he trapped in a dream, or is everything he thinks he knows about his life a lie? Um. I just love that kind of competing realities idea. And also there's something similar going on in the movie 12 Monkeys. Is the guy crazy or is he really jumping backwards and forwards through time? Um, yeah, really interesting premise, I think. Free throw there from the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. And yeah, impeccable taste there. Impeccable taste. Total Recall, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, based on a story from Philip K. Dick, who kind of toyed with solipsistic sort of ideas in multiple novels and even had their own experiences along that lines that were kind of commemorated in the book Vallis. If anybody out there hasn't read Vallis, it's one of these, you know, uh, mind mind-bending sci-fi novels from Philip K. Dick during a period of time where they thought they were maybe being communicated with by some, you know, higher intelligence. And, um, you know, really, really interesting. I, I, I'm a big fan. I, actually, I wish I could show a picture. I've got a, you know, about a half a shelf full of Philip K. Dick stuff. Really great stuff. And, uh, yeah, and it all kind of goes into that twist that, that kind of thing we're talking about. And 12 Monkeys 
No, I haven't seen, I only watched that once when it came out, and I remember I loved it, and I'm a big fan of Terry Gilliam. I, I know we've talked about, uh, even with Spencer, I know we've talked about Time Bandits numerous times, and um, oh, just so many good movies, uh, Fisher King, and um, even some of the more, uh, Brazil, even some of the more recent stuff is, you know, if is still interesting, uh, kind of a unique, a unique mind course from um you know graduate of the monty python school there and um so yeah i need to go back and watch 12 monkeys i guess is is, the, is what i'm saying but yeah those are all really good ideas i'm trying to think of games you know jason would probably know a game right off the top of his head uh that kind of plays along those lines but one's not coming to me right now um, but, uh, yeah, th those are all, would, would all be cool, kind of cool themes, you know, um, w w you know, playing with identity and, and, and reality and stuff like that. So anyway, great stuff, great taste. Uh, let's hear from Joe, Joe Richter, Wheeler Woe, Hindsightless. Yo, Froth, congratulations on 200 episodes, man. That totally rules. You're talking about the big reveal, and I've only ever pulled it off once, but thank all the gods above and below. It happened to be on my actual play, Wheeler Woe. Uh, so there was a big bad guy named Raleigh Mock who was causing no end of grief to the players all the time at every turn. Uh, and the party was also working with basically like a neutral aligned important NPC named Hamilcar. He seemed like an all right dude. And then eventually, after many, 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 many sessions, the players were sitting around and all of a sudden they'd put a couple things together and they're like, holy shit, Raleigh Mock is Hamilcar. Hamilcar is Raleigh Mock. Because Raleigh Mock is just an anagram for Hamilcar. Greatest moment I've ever had as a dungeon master. It was amazing. Great stuff, Roth. You're amazing. Peace out. I love it. Well, that's like an anagram, right? Switching the uh, letters around. I believe it's an anagram. I think it's an anagram. We're going to call it an anagram. <laughs> I know it's not a bananagram. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting to pull that off. That's sweet. That's sweet. I can picture your, your player's astonishment with that. So that's a good one. That's a good one. I might try to rip that off if I can come. The great thing about that, being able to pull that off in a fantasy game, is that you can kind of have names that no one's heard of before. You know what I mean? So you can kind of pull that off. Start with what you want the the word or the, or the name to be and then just kind of rearrange it. And it just, hey, it sounds like a fantasy name. They're all kind of made up sounding anyway. So anyway, thanks for the call in. Good to hear from you. And uh, let's see. Finally, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Forgotten more about RPGs than Froth might ever learn. Has got a call in not only about uh, the plot twists, but also um, the Five Minute Friday, where I was talking about, you know, the idea of your your shelf of old RPG stuff as an actual investment, as an actual asset class. Now a lot of people maybe roll their eyes; they don't even want to think of their stuff that way. But hey, it's like art, beautiful art. If you've got a great piece of art, you can enjoy it and appreciate it. And it can also go up in value, or at least hold its value. And so I was talking a little bit about how zines hold their value, and it's almost like it's better to have a stack of zines than cash because of inflation, you know? 
And it, it might sound a little weird, but it, it's absolutely true. You think of like some of the early RPG zines like uh, Fight On or Knock Spell. You know, those can sell for more than they, you know, they came out for. Uh, maybe not a ton more, but enough to where you are actually better off buying a stack of Knoxpell magazines than you were putting the money under your pillow. So, so let's hear from Jason. Hey, Froth, Jason here. Just want to say, you know, with your situation that sucks, don't worry about it. Don't worry about breaks in the podcast or anything else. I'm not going anywhere. Your, your supporters are going to stay here with you regardless. Congratulations on your 200th episode. And as far as that big reveal, I never got to do it. But I was running a cyberpunk campaign using Altered State. And it was going to end up being tied back to ancient Egypt, where the head of a corporation who was kind of against the player characters was a, a mummy, is Mumra. And I, I started seeding it. They had like you know, like a code, a number code. It was a pretty simple number code, but I don't know if anybody bothered to, to figure out the number code, and there were, like, hints. But we, we we never finished the adventure, so we never got to do that reveal. Hey, Jason again. So, on the 5-Minute Friday topic, I came back in the hobby around 2007. 2006, 2007. Late 2006, early 2007. And went looking to bu- to buy copies of all the D&D stuff for my son. And back then, I was able to get him copies of BX, all the Beckme boxes, and, um, you know, all the AD&D books, first edition AD&D books, for pretty cheap. I don't remember exactly, but it wasn't very expensive. And at the same time, I rebought... Actually, I, I rebought Boot Hill with all the stuff I didn't have back in the day, and I bought I gangbusters and all the stuff for gangbusters. So... Yeah, it, it was pretty inexpensive for a while there. You're right. Um, I don't know when it went up, but now I look at that stuff and, yeah, it's really skyrocketing. So, I don't know. The, the key is take care of it. Don't put it in your damp basement or up in your attic, folks. Jason, good to hear from you. Appreciate the kind words. And, yeah, that's the one thing about pulling off a major plot twist. Probably most effective if, it, it, you know, it's developed over time, you know, so there's a, you know, I don't think pulling off a major plot twist is either as easy or effective, you know, with a one shot or something. So you got to kind of lay the groundwork. And unfortunately, a lot of games aren't going to last long enough for, for the plot twist to be pulled off. So I imagine that there's just as many people out there that have had their game dissolve prior to pulling off their plot twist as there have been people that have pulled it off. So, well, um, before we get started on the show, unfortunately got have some bad news and, um, I, I want to mention this, uh, last time I did a hump day show, I was talking about the, uh, Latin American game jam that was going on on itch and also a, a fundraiser that was happening for a designer named Tiago Rolam and, or maybe Rolim and because they had COVID and they were in the hospital. And I really hate to, to say this, but they passed away from COVID and it's just a reminder of just what an atrocity this whole thing has been. Uh, and how many people have just, you know, that we have lost, uh, to this horrible disease 
I have a link up to the Tito RPG blog, titorpg.wordpress.com, and they have a bundle over on itch uh, where the, they're using the funds from that to support Tiago's family. So I invite you, it's under the intro tab. I invite you to click over there uh, if you're so inclined and, uh, and consider helping out by checking out that bundle. Okay. Um, the other stuff that I have under the intro tab, you know, I, I was talking recently about, um, using real life topics and everything for, for, uh, for plot hooks and everything. I was talking about the ship blocking the Suez canal and everything. And these were just a couple of things that reminded me of that. So I thought I'd just stick them under the intro tab, but these are 50 alternate history divergence points. So these are not based on, you know, there's a, there's a, an error, an element of reality to them, but also, you know, alternate history, uh, things, you know, have, have, you know, twisted, taken a, uh, as, uh, as they put it on the throne assault, the trousers of time have split. Uh, so this is Dan over at Throne of Salt, throneofsalt.blogspot.com, who came up with the idea. And then over at Mapping the Goblin Caves, this is uh, just Goblin, uh, Goblinist over at Mapping the Goblin Caves, mappingthegoblincaves.blogspot.com. They came up with 50 more alternate history divergence points. And so these are some interesting idea ideas here. Um you know, everything from like the Bering Strait, like the Bering Land Bridge remaining above sea level. Uh, just a bunch of little ideas like that that are all really good. Um, and you could throw a handful of these even into a game and, and have something fun. So uh, I thought I'd share those as well. Maps of the week. All right. I should mention as we get into the maps that uh, if you want to call in on the show, go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. You can do that on desktop or mobile. Uh, click the message button and send me a message. Or you can email it to me if you're having trouble with that. Frothsof at gmail.com. Frothsof. SOF stands for soda fries. Frothsof at gmail.com. Also should go ahead and give a shout out to folks back me on Patreon. If you want to support the program, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. All right, the map stuff this week is awesome. Starting over at the map of the week, it fits with the maps of the week, the blog I'm going to start with, mapoftheweek.blogspot.com. I mentioned this one before, great map, great, if you're into cartography, great blog to follow, often something really interesting, and, you know, usually some, the stuff that really grabs me is the stuff from history, and so this one is called, the old, the post is oldest 3D map in Europe, the St. Bellic Slab etched 4,000 years ago and considered to be the oldest known three-dimensional map in Europe, unearthed in 1900, moved a few times, and eventually found again in the cellar of a castle in 2014. So the history reads almost like an RPG adventure. And scientists that have studied it with 3D mapping surveys liken it to a stretch of the Odette River Valley in a region of Brittany. And so very interesting. I've got a picture of the St. Bellic slab. And this kind of gave me just some thoughts about, you know, um, 
in classic D and D, you know, the, sometimes there'll be things like a treasure map on a on a your random table. What what the players find, you know, they find some gems, some coins, maybe a magic item and a treasure map. This would be a cool way to do a treasure map, you know, where they can't fold it up. It's just huge rock. Um, something like that would be kind of a cool idea. So check that out. It's a map of the week.blogspot.com. Then go over to the Acorn Afloat blog, acornafloat.blogspot.com. Jensen over here. I've mentioned this one before. I love Jensen's art style. Love it. Love it. Love it. Great post here. Say. I, there's, I think it's pronounced Satan. They say that their six-year-old daughter named it. Jensen says they don't think she knows who Satan is. So <laughs> I'll trust Jensen on that one. Uh, but uh, it's not spelled. It's S-E-J-T-E-N. Satan, a dungeon map with some hooks. So these are some great like watercolor-looking images um, that Jensen did. And then this really cool dungeon. And they've got, uh, you know, some tables for some plot hooks and stuff like that. So really cool post uh, from the Acorn Afloat. One of my favorite, one of my favorite kind of, uh, not only RPG, but kind of art blogs. Jensen's got a really great style. So I, I'd love to see some people uh, trying to, you know, maybe throw some money at Jensen. I'd love to see a product with nothing but uh, nothing but their art in it. It would be really, really unique. So they're, they're a real talent if you have never been over there. And then finally, I'm over at the Vaults of Varn, vaultsofvarn.com. You know, they do a, a zine, but this is a RPG-related post, and they're generating a region of their Varn setting with by uh, doing kind of like a, a dice drop sort of generating method. So they drop some dice, and they walk you through how they use that to generate this region. And so I put up like kind of the final region of Varn that they kind of came up with using it. But I would encourage you to read through the whole thing uh, because it, it's one of those great things about, you know, kind of pulling creativity out of you. You know, in some ways, that's kind of what things like tarot cards and stuff like that really do. They're kind of like prompting your subconscious and kind of pulling creativity and in, intuition and insight out of you. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of what you can do with uh, dropping dice and doing these different kind of methods. Um, that, that's part of the reason why I love random tables. You know, they kind of force you to improv. They force that creativity out of you. So anyway, thought this was really cool. And that's over at vaultsofvarn.com. Hump day blogorama. All right. Let's get into some blog stuff. So you know that question that kind of question that people ask sometimes that cliche sort of question about if you could have dinner with anybody from history who would it be well what about if you could play D D with anybody who would it be well one of the people that you might think of certainly i think it would be awesome would be eccentric actor jeff goldblum and although you may never get to play D D with jeff goldblum the next best thing is going to probably be listening to them play D&D &D on a podcast. So this has been reported in numerous places. But I've got a link over to GameSpot.com. Jeff Goldblum to play Elven Sorcerer in D&D &D podcast. The Dark Dice podcast will feature Jeff Goldblum in an upcoming show launching May 12th. They say it is unclear if it will be a one-off appearance or be around for the longer campaign. 
but they're playing the elven sorcerer Balmer in the improvised audio drama. And I know I'm going to check that out. I can't wait to see what Jeff Goldblum does with it. I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, Jeff Goldblum in so many good movies. I mean, the Fly, um, Buckaroo Banzai, um, of course, Jurassic Park, uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So many good movies. Um, really, can't think of a really terrible movie that Jeff Goldwyn was in, right? Vibes? No, Vibes is good. <laughs> uh, anyway, so check that out. That's May 12th, so be sure and listen to that. I think that'll be entertaining. Then over at the Uncaring Cosmos blog, uncaringcosmos.com, they usually focus here on you know early kind of uh, computer games. This post, D&D called D&D is a maze game. And they're saying early D&D is a maze game. Players go down into a maze designed by the DM, avoid or disarm traps and avoid monsters to recover treasure. In earlier editions for cartographical, there are cartographical tricks and traps such as sloping corridors, teleporters, spinning rooms, and that kind of thing. And they talk about antecedents, different maze games that they say stretch back millennia. And they go into a, a long post with a lot of great links to early digital maze games and tons of stuff I'd never heard of. Maze from 1972. Uh, they say digital maze games go all the way back to the 50s. Claude Shannon's Theseus from 1950. Uh, all kinds of games. Mouse in the Maze from 1959. Caves from 1973. Hunt the Wumpus from 1973. And, you know, this, this games that if, if they didn't, you know, that in some way had to have influenced D&D and that certainly influenced other um, tabletop RPGs. So really in interesting post here with a bunch of stuff I'd never heard of. It's a really cool blog, too, if you've never checked it out. So that's Uncaring Cosmos. And... Uh, I don't see I don't see the name of who does this blog though, so uh, I can't give them a shout out by name. But anyway, cool, very cool blog, uncaringcosmos.com. Check that out. All right, and then uh, Samantha Nelson blogging over at Dicebreaker, dicebreaker.com. Uh, the name of this post: Hope for the best and plan for the worst. The challenges facing tabletop gaming conventions after lockdown. I've mentioned before, if there's one, uh, you know, if there's one kind of activity that uh, is kind of antithetical to, um, uh, you know, to to, co to preventing the spread of COVID, it, it's got to be, you know, conventions. I mean, there's some pictures in this post that just show just, you know, the sea, the masses of people just packed in like sardines, you know, breathing the same air. I mean... Con crud is, you know, a well-known thing, you know, prior to any, um, you know, prior to the pandemic to begin with, it's just a, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, anytime you get that many people together that close for that many days, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's how things can be spread. It just really is. And, but anyway, the, it, you, at the same time, we want to get back to normal. 
gosh, do we ever. And um, we want the, the loss of life to stop. And I want as many people to get vaccinated as you can. I mean, the, the, the level of uh, crazy on the vaccine stuff right now is just, it's outrageous. Yes, it's a new new vaccine, but I mean, I don't know. To me, you, you got to educate yourself a little on the science and not so much on watching random YouTube videos. And you know, I think people have an inflated sense of self worth sometimes. Like no one wants to waste a microchip on you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they've already they've already bugged your phone. Believe it or not, if you're not if you're not aware, you're already bugged, you know, um, there, nobody's wasting that microchip in <laughs> your vaccine, you know, Carol, you know what I'm saying? Uh, get vaccinated, do it. Certainly, certainly if you're my age, you know, you, you gotta do it. Um, I mean, maybe if you're, if you're 20 and you're, in the prime of your life and you want to roll the dice, you know, that's up to you. But I, I've gotten the flu shot every year of my life. You know what I'm saying? I get it every year. Uh, it's just the way I am. And I would never in a million years have dreamed of not getting my daughter vaccinated. And, you know, I mean, I, I met a guy once, that, you know, he was a friend of mine's brother. And, uh, he had, had had a kid, beautiful baby, and they weren't gonna get, you know, get the they weren't gonna get the polio vaccine, nothing. And I just looked at it as like child cruelty, you know, get measles and all that stuff, rubella, you know what I'm saying? And you, there's more and more of this stuff spreading as this. It's, and I get that that I know this is way off topic, but I get that people are people are scared because so many things are more prevalent now like autism and it's not all because it just wasn't getting diagnosed. I mean, stuff is more common. Alzheimer's way more common, but it's, it's more likely to be just stuff in the environment that they've, you know, that we're just breathing in eating and all that. You know, I, uh, a family member, I have a family member whose husband worked in the plastic industry, plastics industry for years. And, uh, you know, they flat out told me that there are, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of combinations of chemicals and different plastics and stuff that, um, you know, they've never done any kind of extensive test. They don't know, you know, it could be just pure cancer and you would, they, they wouldn't know it. And it's all in the water. It's all in the fish. It's all kind of settled everywhere. Um, you know, I mean, I remember my dad telling me how, you know, they, when they're swimming in the pool, when they're younger, he died of cancer. When they were there swimming in the pool, when they're younger, they come around the pool, you know, spray the DDT, you know, to kill the bugs. And it's like, Hey, look, mommy, it's a funny cloud. You know, uh, I know that's being really facetious, but that's kind of the way I deal with things, <laughs> but you know, it's a fun cloud, mommy. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, uh, so there's definitely something, something going on. I mean, the, the fertility rates are dropping and everything, but uh, it's, 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 it ain't coming from the 
from the vaccines. You know, it's coming from the crap that we're eating and handling and stuff. You know, like my dad was a big gardener and used Roundup and stuff. You know, every weekend was alive for probably, you know, 40 years or whatever it was, if not more often. And, you know, you, you don't know what's in all that. There, there have already been lawsuits and all that. And you don't know what's necessarily in the running off in the water in a lot of places. I mean, you look at um, some areas in the United States, at least, where it's just lead in the water, you know. And uh, so, anyway, don't know exactly where I was going with that. Kind of a downer. But I guess I'm just encouraging people to get vaccinated so you can have a hope of going to a convention again, if that's your thing. Uh, so, anyway... Let's move on from that. Uh, all right. This was a hump day hall of fame, hall of fame blogger mesmerized by sirens blog. They don't blog that often, but they, they, they talk about some of the oddest, most unusual, rarest games that ever existed. Mesmerized by sirens.blogspot.com. And this one they're saying, they're calling it possibly the rarest fantasy RPG in existence. Manual of the Eternal Sages by Scott J. Compton from 1993. And they have a few images and scans from it. So if you want to check out possibly the rarest fantasy RPG in existence uh, from someone who would know, Manual of the Eternal Sages from Scott J. Compton. Over at the Paper Elemental blog, paperelemental.blogspot.com, cool DIY post here. Making Scrabble Tiles into Cheap RPG Minis. Here is how to make cheap DIY wooden standee miniatures for 10 cents each. So if you want to, a lot of pictures with this and some instructions on how they made their own cheap RPG minis out of Scrabble Tiles. So check that out. I love DIY posts, making something out of nothing. Paperelemental.blogspot.com Pookie UK from Reviews from Rullier, the Rullier Reviews blog. They also have their own YouTube channel now. One of the most prolific uh, um, reviewers that you will find. And the thing I love about Pookie UK is they not only will do current new products, but they'll often look back at older ones. And that's what this is. The, from 1981, Merc. And let's see, from... Fantasy Games Unlimited, who also did Chivalry and Sorcery and um, a number of other games. I, th I guess they did Space Opera too, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but Merc, a modern role-playing game of counterinsurgency. One of the first military-themed role-playing games, uh, only preceded by the Moro Project, which is another great game that I'd love to play. Um, so anyway, uh, you want to read about this you know, old school game, forgotten game, uh, Pookie UK uh, builds a character and tells you what it's all about. So that would be a fun game, much like Moral Project with some with a really talented GM who knows what they're doing. I, I'd, I'd enjoy playing a game of this. So check that out. And then finally, uh, over at the Sorcerer's Skull blog from the Sorcerer's Skull, Trey Causey's blog. And... Uh, Trey, talented designer in their own right, is and also a comic fanatic, is talking about the Sentinel Comics role-playing game. 
and so they give a fair review to this, a, you know, overall positive. So if you um, have been looking at different, you know, whatever superhero games, want to try a new one, uh, this is one I had not heard about. Sentinel Comics, the role-playing game, that's over at the Sorcerer Skull blog, sorcererskull.blogspot.com. Random Tables. It is time to roll on some random tables. I am starting over at the Listing to Port Tumblr. And this is Nimble's House of Maps Tumblr. Listing-2-port.tumblr.com. Ten wizards at the door. There's a wizard at the door. Let's see who it is. Uh, it's a great big tree. This wizard is a great big tree. They're not interested in you. They want your door. Will your door go on a quest? <laughs> Bet you didn't know it was alive. Well, it wasn't, but it is now. No time to explain, but I'd steer clear of other large wooden items for a day or two. <laughs> That's a great hook. Let's do one more on these. Ten wizards at the door. Um, exceedingly magic wizard cloak with stars on it. At least it had stars on it, but they burned their way off on a quest to get more stars. Nobody likes a cloak with holes in it. Sensitive question, but how are you with the vacuum of space? <laughs> Good stuff over at the listing to port Tumblr, 10 wizards at the door. All right, now we're over at the Papers Pencils blog, Nick L.S. Whelan's blog. Great blog. I've mentioned this one before. They've done some incredible D100 tables. They did a whole series on all the different facets of a dungeon with the D100 tables. I told myself I was going to make my own little zine out of that. have not gotten around to it, but uh, they've got a number of uh, cool books and stuff that you can check out um, and everything. This is PapersPencils.com. Somebody I follow on Twitter as well. And so this is called D100 Merchants. So we are going to, once I find my percentile dice, I'll just use these. This works. All right, D100 Merchants. When your players wish to go shopping, they may discover the store is tended by someone with their own rich internal life. This post was written by a request from a friend who has since informed me that it's not at all what she wanted and is totally useless to her. I probably should have clarified her needs at some point, but perhaps it'll be useful to you. The shopkeep merchant salesperson is... Uh, D100. Gotta scroll way down on here. Um, a very sweaty fellow who is followed everywhere they go by a wizard. The wizard insists you pay no attention to her. As a sweaty man goes about their business, the wizard collects his sweat and vials and studies each carefully before labeling it and placing it in her satchel. <laughs> All right, let's do one more on here. D100 wizards. Uh, I mean, I was confusing my tables there for a minute. That one had a wizard in it. D100 merchants. Um, let's see. Engaged. This merchant is engaged in an act of performance art. You only think you're in a shop because you're not fully appreciating at all the artistic nuance on display. This is artifice, a statement that reflects the artist shopkeep's supreme genius. You can still buy things from him, but it's just it's not just a transaction. This means something. 
shopkeeper uh, shopkeeping as performance art so d100 of these a lot of cool ideas and that's over at paperspencils.com zine club all right let's get into some zine stuff fellow legendary anchorite pete jones does the dragons are real podcast and they have got up a podcast on three of their zine quest zines that they backed having come in and they're talking about that and one was one that i was kind of interested in backing but didn't end up doing it darkest dungeons where it's made to look like a chick tract you know these old ridiculous uh, moralistic comics that were kind of at least in the early 80s you know left in bathrooms all across at least the, the southern united states um but anyway so check that out Kind of a review of uh, three of the uh, zines from ZineQuest that they have started to get in the mail. And I haven't gotten any of mine in the mail from this year's yet. I don't think I have. No, I haven't. Uh, but I've gotten a, a number of surveys, you know, where they're kind of doing the surveys, getting ready to send them out. So hopefully soon I'll start seeing some of them. But check that out. That's at dragonsarerealpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh-oh. This link has changed. Let's see if they still have this post up. Hmm. The link was working just yesterday, so when I put together the post, no, they have deleted this, so I'm going to have to delete it from the blog. <clears throat> Maybe they... Maybe they decided to take this down for some reason. It was a new release on a zine, but apparently it is maybe not ready for prime time, something like that. So sorry about the, the weirdness there. I, it was The link was working yesterday when I put together my blog post, and now when I went to open it up to talk about it, it was not working, and it's not, no longer on their site. So ignore the last few seconds. And you may want to ignore the next few seconds because uh, basically D&D, the new online dragon magazine, issue 37. Wow. Time has really flown with 5e because they only put these out every every couple of months, maybe even every quarter. No, that can't be right. Can it? Issue 37? Does that seem right? Dragon Plus. The online uh, dragon, you know, version of, of Dragon Magazine for 5e can't help thinking, you know, I know everything's digital these days and everything, but doesn't it kind of seem like a lost opportunity? The mags for 5e, like it seems like even if they just made these as PDFs or something where you could, you know, purchase them for a few bucks, it seemed like they'd make more money, but there have been these uh, Matt Colville and, and some other folks that have, have are making a go out of having some 5e magazines, but I really feel like with the popularity of 5e, there could be some kind of print-on-demand or something where they could work with the, uh, you know, do something with with Dragon. And also, really, they the, one of the weaknesses of 5e. I mean, it's not a weakness as far as third-party stuff goes. There's tons of shorter adventures, and many of them are free. You know, I blog about them all the time on the Thought Eater blog, but 
Um, there, there's kind of a lack of, of shorter adventures unless you're going like the Adventurers League uh, route. And, it, it, you know, I could be totally off. Maybe I don't understand uh, business or printing costs or whatever it is. But uh, it seems it's always just seemed a, a lost opportunity with, uh, with, the, with the Dragon magazine um, the way it is now. Mostly ads, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, you'll still get some news and they still do highlight some third-party creators and stuff. So there is still some value to it. Just maybe not as value as it could be. But anyway, there's there's a new issue of Dragon Plus. I've got the link up to, to that if you want to check that out. Still shocked that there's been 37 issues. That is really surprising. I'd mentioned the reviews from Rolier blog earlier, but I, I'm mentioning it again because... Pookie's continuing their fanzine focus series, talking about Zedek Su's Upper Helang from their Thousand Thousand Island zine series. Very positive review, and you can check that out at royerreviews.blogspot.com. Over at James Malashevsky's Grognardia blog, the post called First Encounter, where they're looking back at an early zine from back from the early 80s. This one first encounter Canada's coast-to-coast fantasy and gaming magazine. Uh, it ran for at least six issues. I have never seen a copy of this. They say, yeah, it ran for eight issues between June 1982 and August 1983. Of particular note is that the zines feature the artwork of Eric Holtz, best known for their iconic work on the Harn setting. So anyway, cool looking cover and it kind of maybe might inspire you to try to track down these these zines now i kind of want to see them first encounter canada's coast to coast fantasy and gaming magazine ran from eight issue for eight issues in the early 80s and then i saw luke gearing at lukegearing.blot.im posting about this as well as ian usum over at the uncanny spheres blog i had ian on the show recently talking about their mothership zine quest project and a number of other topics, including they were talking about uh, community and doing group projects and kind of the importance of community, organizing um, yourselves and supporting each other when you're creating different products and, and creating some products with purpose and everything. And so they, they mentioned during that interview that they were going to do a later blog post talking more about that. And they do that here at uncannyspheres.blogspot.com. And they mention, as well as um, Luke mentions, and Luke actually worked on it, but this new uh, anti-fascist charity zine called Postcards from Cable Street that is out now. And this raises funds for British anti-fascist charities, Hope Not Hate, and Football Lads and Lasses Against Fascism. And it's uh, Luke Gearing works on it. Oh. And Ian works on it. I didn't realize that. Ian Newsom worked on it. Jarrett Crater, a number of other folks you, you, you're probably familiar with their work, with a punk zine aesthetic that, in the words of Ian Newsom, looks damn cool too. So if you want to read about some of the stuff Ian's talking about, um, RPG communities and collective action, and also check out some of those these um, zines such as Postcards from Cable Street, I've got the links up for you as well. Free stuff. All right. Ended up with a lot of free stuff this week. Um, some you might be interested in. Some you might not. But hey, it's free. So if you don't like it, leave it for the for the next gamer. But uh, So yeah, starting at the On the Tabletop blog, 
onthetabletop.blog. Um, do I have a name? Aaron Clark over there. Aaron Clark. Uh, this is a really cool post. What's in your spell book? You know, they talk a little bit about how, you know, you see the same spells usually from, from casters, especially at low levels. And I've talked many times about how I nipped this in the bud with uh, spontaneous casting. You know, if the wizard has a slot, let them cast whatever out of their book. You know, this whole, and actually the final topic talks about this, this whole being a stickler for the rules on spell casting and having to memorize a certain spell and only be able to use those spells and spending all this these hours and and all that. You know, that's how you get to see nothing but cure light wounds and sleep, you know, for 20 sessions or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I, to me, that's not, doesn't feel magical. Doesn't feel magical in the slightest. Um, feels horrible, actually. Feels really restrictive. Feels like going to some kind of, you know, horrible private school somewhere, maybe. It's terrible magic. It's terrible. Couldn't be any worse, really, could it? Could you make it any worse? So anyway, they're talking about the wide variety that uh, of spells that was in the Wizard Spell Compendiums, a, a later TSR series of spells. I believe that was like a three-volume set. I've seen that at a game store and kind of wanted it, but um, they were charging an arm and a leg for it. And then they men mentioned how Dan Collins, Dan Delta Collins, did a... Um, a spreadsheet of the entire compendium with spell details. And they say that their effort w was to consolidate Delta's work and convert it to a traditional workbook while also adding some lookup functions for random spell selection by level. Anyway, you end up with this uh, kind of Google Doc spreadsheet with all these spells in it. 254 level spell level one spells alone. 254 level one spells alone. So over 2,000 magic user spells combined on a handy dandy uh, spreadsheet. Very very cool. You can check that out. So a great resource over at onthetabletop.blog. I could have put this under Zine club but uh as it's a free download you know maybe i should have put it there but i, I ended up putting it under free stuff crafting geeks magazine the magazine has been in the works for nearly a year very proud to finally get it to you and you can download it or kind of scan through it um kind of scan through it uh, on the web or download a pdf look i haven't flipped through it yet but uh with the name crafting geeks you kind of get the idea of some of the things you might see there's some cosplay resin tutorials so it looks like making your own dice and stuff like that battle maps so i've downloaded this i haven't had a chance to look at it but i thought i'd share it with y'all craftinggeeks.com the first issue is out over at welcome to the death trap death trap games blog they are celebrating one of my favorite um, kind of indie creators, Michael Prescott, who does the Trilemma Adventures blog, blog.trilemma.com. Um, they do these great kind of two-page dungeons that have really wonderful isometric maps, and they're mentioning it as a resource. And although I've mentioned the Trilemma Adventures site in the past, 
I realize that, you know, from time to time, I've got new listeners coming in and out. And since this was a really good, nice celebration of Michael Prescott's work, I thought I might point you over that, over to it. Now there's over like 50 of these that are downloadable for free, but they've also put together a Trilemma Adventures hardback. That's really, really nice, really elegant, really, really nice quality book to have with some unusual adventures and world-class cartography. So, so anyway, a nice post over at the deathtrap-games.blogspot.com blog, and that's Brian C. Rideout blogging about that. Great post. Middle Finger of Vecna, I've mentioned them before. Very prolific um, creators of 5e third-party stuff. mfov.magehandpress.com and so uh, this one is a new class, the Martyr. Um, the class takes the cliche blood caster concept and divines it up a bit. So you too can live the dream of dying a glorious death. Death. Gosh, my, we've reached that point in the show where Froth is unable to read anymore. So all bets are off from here out. But a new 5e class downloadable pdf the martyr check that out over at the archons court blog uh luther gutenkunst the orbiters local 519 a glog hack uh and so this is downloadable uh let's see what i can tell you about this some of the stuff i haven't got a chance to look at i saw hey, this is cool it looks cool this is free you play a group of scavengers sent to recover delicate resources from wrecked starships. So if you want to glog hack, glog in space, Orbiters Local 519 might be something you might be uh, looking forward to. Um, so they've got a couple of files of example derelict ships and then the actual rules. So you can download all that, all that for free over at archons-court.blogspot.com. Uh, Scott Malthouse, friend of the program, I've talked about their cool game, Romance of the Perilous Lands, before. It's put out by Osprey Publishing, who you might know for their military history books, as well as Frostgrave and a number of other RPGs and, and war games. Over at ospreypublishing.com, they have got a free um, supplement, free adventure, The Dread Below, that's out for Romance of the Perilous Land. You can download that and other resources for their games for free without having to register on the site. So check that out. Over at the Quarterlings Corner, quarterlingscorner.blogspot.com. Tim B over there. Um, they are they decided they're they're going to release their little D D alike projects as part of one package, a virtual box set. The Goblets and Grooves virtual box set. So they have two games, Goblets and Grooves, and Advanced Goblets and Grooves that you can download. And then they've got a um, uh, uh, some little ideas of settings and, um, and, and, and stuff like that. So anyway, some free games, Goblets and Grooves. Uh, it says an FKR-inspired game. I'm guessing that's the free Krieger... Free Kriegspiel Revolution, Kriegenspiel, <laughs> talking about a little bit. Kind of extra uh, rules light games uh, based on early war games and stuff. And then they, they say that Goblins and Grooves is the uh, is the, kind of the lighter of the two. And then Advanced Goblins and Grooves is kind of more OSR style, 
based largely on Into the Odd Electric Bastion Land. So check that out. A work in progress, the Goblets and Grooves Virtual Bog Set over at quarterlingscorner.blogspot.com. Oh, come on, mouth. You can do this. You can do it. There is a new Unearthed Arcana over for 5e, the Draconic Options. I've got a link over to that if you're playing 5e and like to play test this stuff and look at what might be coming out in future books. Draconic Options is the latest Unearthed Arcana. And then Hodag RPG. Had Hodag on the show. Love Hodag. They continue their quest. 52 games in 52 weeks. Or games, supplements, and everything else. They've had three that I've noticed since um, since I last did a Hump Day RPG show. Kingdomites of Technoskull Island. Kingdomites of Technoskull Island. Check that one out. It's got a, the artwork has a He-Man vibe to it. Motherflip in space. Almost no one can hear you cuss. And this one kind of plays around with some of the uh, the mothership um, art um, art uh, graphic design. Um, so check that out, Motherflip. And then the Lodag Playtest version one. Playtest Lodag, a print and play 2D6 light fantasy game like no other. And by that, I mean most others are somewhat coherent. So three new offerings from Hodag RPG. Check these out and go and view all of the stuff that Hodag has been putting up over at itch, hodagrpg.itch.io, and be sure and follow them. And then look for Hodag. If you're on Twitter, follow Hodag on Twitter. A great follow. So check that out. And then finally, the last thing I've got, free thing I've got, can't remember where I saw this. It's either just a random Facebook post or Reddit or somewhere, but um, William Henry Dvorak blogs about their bone march setting and they have had this compiled into a um uh, a pdf that has a real kind of old school you know early module vibe the bone march companion so you've got kind of a setting you know, basically like a free RPG setting that compiles a lot of their blog posts into a cool format, like it's a like an old module. So I've got just the link to the OneDrive that's got this where you can download it. And like I say, I forgot where I saw it, so it is what it is. The final topic. All right, so for the final topic, this was prompted by a post over at Cocktail de roll.wordpress.com, uh, which translates to the roll cocktail, the drink of the role players, cocktail de roll, the Gygax code. And so this is kind of an interesting post where they kind of go down the rabbit hole trying to track down Gary Gygax's house rules. Now, I had seen Gygax post on some in world not in-world, uh, over at uh, Dragon's Foot, doing some long Q&A threads that are still archived there, where, where Gary mentioned some of their house rules, but this kind of takes them from a YouTube video to... Uh, they go from a YouTube video to an old Alexandrian post to the Troll Lords Games Forum to the O&D&D &D discussion forums 
to the cyclo cyclopediatron cyclopeatron uh anyway multiple sites trying to track down you know try to trying to get to the bottom of what Gary's house rules are and and at the end of the day that there may not be an answer for that you know certainly there was some stuff straight from Gary's mouth but then some of it's you know from people that played in games later games with with Gary and different posts and written by people that you can't track down to verify it so it's in the end it's kind of like a philosophical journey trying to track this stuff down but the the main thing is that came to mind first because we've talked about house rules here on the the show many times you know first of all maybe there should be a, a a saying like never trust a gm that plays as you know plays rules as written you know i mean certainly with like OD&D you almost can't play rules as written cuz you, you're going to have to come up with something on your own in fact you look at some of the early reviews of original dungeons and dragons and those that are critical they state you know the reason they're being critical of it is like this is not a full game this is just you know some some ideas, a few rules that you make your own, and they, they treat that as criticism when in reality it's kind of the beauty of it, right? But the other thing, and I've, I've mentioned this before, is that neither Gygax or Arneson ever played D&D as written, you know? That, that's what was sold in the box, and it spawned so many campaigns, my, my own early games included, where people just kind of filled in the blanks, took stuff in, you know, put stuff in, took stuff out at will and, and made it their own. So, um, trying, you know, trying to play, uh, you know, you can't really play the earliest in incarnations of D and D as written because it, it's, it's impossible. You have to come up with something on your own. At some point, you have to make some kind of ruling on, on your own. But that being said, it's still interesting to look at some of the stuff that Gygax was doing or alleged to have done. Now, some that I know that Gygax actually did say on the Dragon's Foot site were, were things like on a score of 15 or higher, uh, plus one to hit and damage if you're a fighter, plus one first level spell with a, with a higher intelligence, same with clerics getting a bonus spell. Which is kind of sneaky of Gary because we've already talked about this episode about wizards and just how restrictive they are. And even Gygax wasn't playing them that way. You know what I mean? Even Gygax was like, ah, no, nah, this is too much. Let's give him another spell. You know what I mean? But anyway, it goes on and some of the stuff, um, there's some of the notes from the rules from a campaign that Gary allegedly ran in 2005, an OD&D campaign, and also gleaned from InWorld and Dragon's Foot um, forums, as well as some tales of the campaign posted by a player named Deogolf. Deogolf? I guess that's right. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't use any of these supplements, only the three original little books. You know, so only the three little brown books. Uh, ability scores were rolled. Best three, you know, 
roll 46, keep three, arrange to taste. So that's how the ability scores were done. Gary started them at third level. So, you know, that says something. Maybe that's not how, uh, how he always did it, but at least in this campaign, he was starting people. He wasn't starting people with one hit point. You know, you weren't stuck being the one hit point wizard with one spell. It just what did not happen. Fighters got an automatic one hit point plus one hit point per die, uh, per dice, and all PCs got the same if their con was over fourteen. So the characters were not as fragile. Again, going back to the fragility of characters. There was no training to gain a level, that whole thing. That's all been thrown out. I talked about that recently. I've only played with one GM that did it, but they came up with a really fun way of doing it. Um, uh, 1d6 for a surprise. And this is harsh. On a one, it's one round of surprise, two, two rounds of, of surprise. That's one of those rules that can get really brutal when you have multiple attacks, multiple attacks and two rounds of surprise. Uh, you can, it's basically game over. So I'll, I always just did a, you know, surprise round, one round, you know, one, one, uh, attack with, you know, whoever, and then roll initiative. Um, I never bothered with, uh, uh Oh, you can, we got six arrows coming at you before you get to do anything. You know, six arrows per enemy or whatever. Uh, PCs must declare actions before initiative. Casters must declare the specific spell being cast. That sounds pretty much according to the book. Uh, or maybe it doesn't specify no D&D and just does in later editions. I can't remember. Um, uh, 1D6 for initiative, timing simultaneous. Some of these just, I guess, how they play, even though they're, they, they are the actual rules. A, a casting caster who loses initiative will lose their spell if hit. Pretty standard. All PCs get 1d6 hit point per level. Hit point rolls are re-rolled on a 1. So there's another durability type thing. Plus 1 damage for high strength for fighters. Dex doesn't affect AC. Apparently that's how it is in Chainmail. Dex does affect missile attack to hit rolls. PCs are unconscious at 0 hit points. Can go as low as level plus 1 before death. So kind of a death door sort of deal. Uh, casters find scrolls, spell books, or a friendly higher level caster to acquire new spells. Clerics don't need spell books. Gary IDs most magic items immediately. Uh, this is because players are anxious to get back to the dungeon and don't want to bother with in-town adventures. So kind of not doing the whole... I don't know what this does. Let me go pay somebody. Let me, or I have to cast a spell to find out what the magic item does. Potions still must be tasted to ID. The old, have a little sip of poison every once in a while. And then unusual items required a trip to a mage. So certain magic items, you know, DM Fiat, obviously, um, did require a trip to a mage to be identified. And so... Perhaps not, not surprisingly, the the house rules that Gygax used were all in the vein of where you find most people house ruler games anyway, which is really comes down to the durability of the characters, um, and kind of the flexibility with your character creation options. Right, those are probably the two most common um, house rules for 
when when you think about just strictly OD&D type house rules, you're coming up with your own character creation methods and you're coming up with your own um, uh, ideas about death and dying or maxing hit points at first level and stuff like that, you know. So, and it's interesting that um, even some of the stuff from Greyhawk, they ignore, but they keep a little bit of it, like some of the bonuses and everything else. But, so anyway, I just thought it was kind of interesting. You know, I, I, I'd seen some of these these things before in different places about um, uh, Gygax's house rules, but I thought it was still worth remembering. Just to remind everybody, if you needed a reminder, that make the game your own. The people that wrote the game originally didn't even play by the rules. The game was impossible to play by the rules originally because the rules were not filled in. There was some kind of push to keep filling in rules to where you end up with a full page of rules on just how to open doors. And it just gets ridiculous. Uh, the, 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 you know, it's, it's important to remember that even the creators never played the rules that they wrote. <laughs> and, and that's a beautiful thing too, because it means every game is different. Every game, uh, is made your own. And the other thing I liked about it is how uh, just the idea being presented to the author here from a YouTube post led them onto this kind of journey, like uh, the Gygax code, like the Da Vinci code, where they're trying to figure out, you know, the secret, you know, what was Gygax's secret? What was the way D&D was actually played? So kind of interesting in that respect, too. Outro. All right, that was a whole lot of show. Remember that all the links I talked about today are over at the Thoughtier blog. So thankful to the creators, bloggers, cartographers for putting out this awesome stuff that uh, just allows me to flap my gums about it. Thank you so much to folks backing me over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. If you're listening to the show and you like it, you can support the program for as little as a dollar a month. Can't make it any cheaper than that patreon.com forward slash thought eater. Thank you to the legends folks calling in, checking in, supporting the program and making the show better with their comments. Join the program. There's no limit to call ins. Call in. I'll put you on the show. Anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Click the message button. If you want to talk about any of the topics we talked about today, anything like that, check in with us. I think that's it. As always, I have a couple of funny memes under the outro tab. Just some D&D humor that I spotted over the week. And uh, next you'll hear from me is 5-Minute Friday. Logan! Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, boom, boom.